my opinion is we will see that the paradigm of supplier vendor relationship has been absolutely disrupted and we will see that significantly change. We will see that collaboration in your ecosystem, visibility across the tiers of supply chain is what's going to determine the next stage of efficiency. And I also believe that companies right now can define an intelligent path to achieve risk resilience. Welcome to the Future of Supply Chain podcast from SAP. My name is Richard Howells, and I'm the Vice President for Thought Leadership for SAP's ERP, Finance and Supply Chain Solutions. And I'm joined by my co-host, Sin. Hello, my name is Sin Tu. I'm a marketer, blogger and podcaster on the topic of supply chain here at SAP. Today, we are joined by our guest, Dominic Metzger, to discuss the role of technology in the future of supply chain. So welcome, Dominic, and thank you so much for joining us today. If you could take a moment to introduce yourself and give some insight into your role and what you do today. Absolutely. And Richard Sin, first of all, thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be part of your podcast today. So I'm responsible at SAP for our supply chain products in engineering. So my team runs our product strategy and also develops and brings to market our latest supply chain innovations which we will talk about today. I'm home here in Munich and uh, yeah, excited to talk about what has changed because supply chains certainly have been in the limelight over the last couple of years. Dominic, thanks for joining us. You're the perfect person to have this conversation with because I'm sure you're speaking to lots of customers every year. So what are some of the challenges that companies are facing today from a supply chain perspective? Yeah. Like I was already alluding to, I mean, supply chains have rarely ever been as much in the limelights as in the past couple of years. Now, I don't want to bore our audience with things everyone already knows about. The huge disruptions that we have seen through or caused through the pandemic that really has halted production in many, many industries and have significantly shifted what used to be demand-driven supply chains for many industries towards really supply-driven supply chains, meaning what I can buy, what I can procure, basically determines what I can manufacture and hence and sell. I want to talk a little bit more about how this has evolved since the pandemic and also looking forward, what is going next. And here, I would say a huge aspect is certainly the domain of risk resilience, where supply chains have traditionally been seen as cost centers, right? And a necessary evil to get the products to, to the markets, to customers. And uh, I think it is now understood that supply chains are so much more than that, that it is necessary to have a highly risk resilient supply chain. And uh, let me extend on that word risk resilience. I mean, there are now, of course, many actors, including governments, if we look at the US, the Inflation Reduction Act, for example, that are trying to help local economies to improve resiliency in their supply chains. Now, I'm convinced that the answer to build resilience is not only found in nearshoring or reshoring, so basically bringing production back, back to the headquarters or back to the local facilities, but rather in, let me call it, more intelligence, in more intelligent ways how companies can become, for example, much more agile and really connect beyond the four walls of their own company with the network 
of enterprises that direct it. How are you seeing then companies address these challenges and what are the key processes and solutions that are helping companies today, in your opinion? The biggest challenge many companies still have is that their supply chain domains are still acting in silos, right? So while many companies that I work with, they are pretty good in the various domains, right? So if you look into logistics, they have very good systems and processes in place to run logistical operations. Or if you look into the factory, into the shop floor, the same story. Or if you look into supply chain planning, if you look into procurement, I think key is really to connect the various supply chain disciplines. And then much more importantly, to connect your company in a business network. So that is a strategy we have been driving very successfully at SAP with many customers that are already making use of these network effects. And to me, it comes down to really three key elements. I mean, the first is it is critical nowadays to gain visibility beyond one tier, right? Or one echelon of your supply chain. So for many years, it's been the norm that you as a manufacturer, let's just say you negotiate with your suppliers with a bet, with a purpose to have the best purchasing conditions, including cost, including quality, including lead times. And that's how suppliers were optimized. What we are now seeing is it is much more critical to collaborate with your suppliers because even the most optimized supply chain has failed, right? When sourcing strategies were focused on pure economic purchase condition optimization, if that makes sense. In other words, we believe it's not only about squeezing out the last dime from your supplier, but connecting you in the ecosystem. So let's talk about your supplier's supplier. So a tier two or a tier three, in order to really identify disruptions much, much earlier before they happen. So that's number one. Number two, to then also be able to have that agility to react to these disruptions. For us, that means that coming back to my initial point, the different silos of your supply chain really need to be integrated with each other. If we realize that you have a supply problem, It's not only a matter of procurement to perhaps find a new supplier. It's also a matter of transportation, perhaps to accelerate the shipment. It might even be a matter of production to reprioritize your production schedule. So the synchronization, if you want, of the supply chain is key in our opinion. And last but not least, we also believe, especially with capabilities like intelligent manufacturing slash industry 4.0, there is still a lot of potential in really increasing the productivity of manufacturing and operations processes, how you maintain the uptime of your assets, of your equipment, and how automated you can really run the operations in the four walls of a plant, of a factory. It's really interesting. There's some great examples there, by the way. But it's important that you pointed out that even if you optimize the silos, if things don't go according to plan, that's when you have to be able to be risk resilient and have the agility to sense and respond to those changes. And also, you touched upon the point that no company runs alone. They rely on the network of partners. So collaboration and synchronization across those partners are key. So that end-to-end -end supply chain becomes the thing that you have to manage, not the individual components of the supply chain. But to be agile and to have the visibility to be risk resilient, we are obviously leveraging different technologies. I mean, we're doing research at the moment, and AI came out as the top technology. But we're also seeing lots of investment in IoT mm -hmm. and the start of investment in blockchain. 
so what are the roles of these technologies? How are technologies being leveraged to be risk resilient and sustainable? Yeah, I actually want to start with a different angle to answering your question, Richard, which is the business element to it. So I feel in many customer conversations I'm having, the biggest hurdle to take for companies is a paradigm shift in how they work within the ecosystem, especially in traditional industries where this supplier vendor relationship has been determined by, like I said, let's just squeeze out the best purchasing conditions, right? Let's just secure based on platform strategies. Let's secure the cheapest purchasing materials for us at quality. That needs to change. And so at SAP, we have actually been co-launching two very significant industry initiatives to really address the business element of this. Not at all the technology in the first place, but the business element with, for example, Catena X, we do that with the automotive industry. And yes, there is a lot of technology talk in Catena X, but the fundamental paradigm shift we are driving with Catena is that the willingness to share data, which is absolutely instrumental in making this shift happen, is accepted by all stakeholders, all the way from the big OEMs to TRN smaller suppliers. And we're replicating this for other industries like the machinery and components industry and many others in an initiative that we call Factory X. So this is really what I believe the most important pillar purely from a business perspective. Now, but very valid point. Now, how can technology help? Yeah, how do you make it happen? Exactly. So how can, and also quite frankly, what is SAP's role? Because we are not a manufacturer of parts. So <laughs> how do we bring value to that? So to me, it really comes down to, there are, let's say, massive hurdles in a networked economy to create trust of sharing data. A lot of that comes down to, I don't want to accept that other companies just have a de facto visibility into all my transactional data, right? That is a no-go. I don't want to just share quality data. I don't just want to share technology data about my manufacturing processes or capacities or whatsoever. So what technology does and what we are doing is to really help with building data security, building data sovereignty, and the aspect of... Um, a networked economy where entitlement of who is allowed to see what element of data for what purpose can be entirely managed programmatically. So blockchain or in general crypto or encryption is certainly a big area that we're exploring here, but also other elements we're working in these big, let's say, programs with think tanks, how this entitlement of data can be done programmatically where basically no user needs to interfere but it's all orchestrated by technology how data can be shared in a very trusted environment yeah. so i think this is number one when it comes to a networked economy but now obviously we still create a ton of data even within the four walls of the company and what we have been focusing on a lot is to gain insights from this data. I mean, let's face it, we are, let's say, leading ERP providers. So we have a lot of business data at SAP. We understand everything around what are you procuring? What are you manufacturing? What are you selling? What are you transporting? What are your supply chain plans? And that's a powerful foundation of data. What we have invested a lot into is to gain this macro insights, if you want, especially when disruptions happen, to understand the impact of external disruptions, right? A container, a shipment being stuck in a port, or simply a supplier failing, 
what is the impact onto your business? So how can we make it very tangible based on insights to this business data and network data, my shipment being stuck, what production is affected, what customers are affected? And then, and this for me closes the loop, most important, how can we really take action? So for us, since there is not one recipe for resilience, we believe you need to be agile depending on what is disrupted that you can really integrate all the way into the level of execution. So very concrete, all the way down to when a purchaser has to create a new purchase order for a different supplier, when a production plan needs to be changed and so on and so forth. And that can, of course, be aided by machine learning or AI to come up with these proposals, to come up with this root cause analysis, with this impact assessment and with proposals how to resolve such disruptions. Since you mentioned IoT, for us, the full focus of IoT is to make IoT data relevant and accessible for the business process. So we really focus on leveraging IoT data that is already generated by many, many of our customers as part of the application and business process. So concrete example, I'm gathering a lot of IoT data during my manufacturing process about the quality of my product. So what our specialty is to really link this with your production order to ultimately find out, have I produced my products in quality? And if I have, let's say, half a year down the road, a recall, I have, of course, this wealth of contextualized data at my fingertips to understand where did my process or where did a fault occur. So it's great to hear, especially somebody in charge of development, talking about leading with the business problem and then backing into the technologies that are required to solve that problem. Because in many instances, we see companies identifying a new technology and say, we need a proof of concept for this technology, but not really have a business reason for doing it. So putting the business process first is critical and the business challenge first is critical. And if risk resiliency has been the big business challenge of the last two or three years, I think it'll be joined by sustainability mm. as a business challenge moving forward. And supply chain is right in the middle of the sustainability challenges, both as a contributor to the problem, but also a huge area of opportunity. So how are you seeing companies address sustainability across the supply chain? Yeah, I mean, let's face it, we we as the supply chain community are one of the biggest net contributors other than, of course, I mean, with basically scope three emissions and beyond, of course, what is emitted by utilities companies and energy providers and so on. So we have a big stakeholder on the table. And what I'm convinced in is we are making great progress, first of all, as a society and in the understanding of large corporations taking accountability. Now, let's talk about this accountability. While I think there was a lot of focus in, first of all, creating transparency and reportability over the last couple of years, in other words, I want to know what are my emissions. I want to be able to report on them. And that's a complex enough endeavor for many companies. I see now really the huge wave going in towards operationalizing sustainability. The difference for me is very simply with a simple example. Even if I have a, let's say, high focus on creating that transparency in my company, right? Even if I have plans in place how to reduce emissions, at the end, I believe it really comes down to the level of execution operations to make it happen. So if I have the best control tower to understand my status quo, if I have the great initiatives, 
the real savings, the real reduction usually comes from in everyday business operations to take more sustainable decisions. And that's one big pillar that we contribute to the sustainability strategy of SAP with supply chain. I want to give you two concrete examples. Let's talk transportation. So, of course, when managing fleets, when managing trucks and ocean air freight, warehouses, this is where emissions are being generated. So what we have started to invest into is to have a dispatcher. So a person that takes purchasing decisions, what carrier do I choose? What mode of transport do I choose? How do I manage my wealth of shipments to make them take the right decisions by embedding CO2 emissions into transportation plan? So when they run a transportation plan before they select carriers and modalities, that they not only optimize based on lead time or cost, or perhaps availability of freight capacity, of course, but also based on the CO2 emission that this plan will cause. And if I have clear guidance, so the, don't get me wrong, the control tower and the central sustainability functions are instrumental to create these boundaries or operating procedures, but the execution happens really in the business domains. So that's my example on transportation. My second example falls into supply chain planning. So before I decide how much I need to procure to secure my customer demand, so in my supply plans, before I generate purchase requisitions, before I generate production orders, if I could at that very intersection not only optimize my supply plans by, again, cost and by quality or customer reliable or customer lead times and customer service levels, but again, based on the CO2 emissions or based on other sustainability KPIs, I can take very different decisions on where I buy, where I procure, how I procure my material for. And the last example is when it comes to reduction of plastic. This is a decision that is basically determined in the engineering department. When product teams, when product design teams create new products and the packaging around it, they decide how much plastic goes not only into the product, but also in the packaging. So also those are tools where we inter, let's say, act with the engineering and design tools to, at the source, so to speak, reduce consumption of plastic. So in one sentence, focus for us is to really operationalize sustainability. It's really interesting because um, in both cases, whether we're talking risk resiliency or sustainability, and probably whatever the next business challenge is, it all comes back to having visibility and the right information at your fingertips to make that call. Because if you can't monitor whether it's the risks or the events happening or the emissions that you're generating or the waste that you're producing, then you can't measure it and you can't manage it. So that real-time visibility becomes very critical for all business challenges moving forward, I believe. Yeah, couldn't agree more. So... One, one question, because you mentioned, or you both mentioned sustainability. If I understand it correctly, is it something where you can say, or someone can say, Industry 4.0 is leading also to sustainability in that way? Mm. If my English is now correct. <laughs> <laughs> in that way. <laughs> yes. No, I mean, very fair question. Let me drill maybe a little bit into Industry 4.0, and then I'll come back to the very valid question. Can it help to achieve mm -hmm. sustainability goals? So Industry 4.0 is a topic that's more than 10, 12 years old. So it's far, far down the road from the hype cycle. 
Now it hasn't lost its priority. It hasn't lost its power. And it's still, an, let's say, a market dynamic or a way of running your manufacturing operations that's underutilized. There are many other words for it. I mentioned this earlier, smart manufacturing, intelligent factories. And uh, I'm even having analysts ask me about what is going to be industry 5.0. And I don't like answering that question um, because truly I believe right now what is lacking massively is to be able to scale principles of industry 4.0 across the enterprise. So companies were extremely strong in building industry 4.0 capabilities. Let's make a concrete example. I want to be able to really automate my shop floor, not only with the hardware that I use, the machines, the assets, the maybe warehouse robotics, so automated guided vehicles that are shuttling material around, but I also want to integrate my shop floor into the world of IT. Why? Because I have highly customized orders where I create very small lot sizes. Every product has different specifications from my customers and having human interaction is highly ineffective, right? So I need to directly orchestrate human, or in this case, machine IT interaction to highly automate my processes. But to my key point now, to really roll this out at scale, meaning not just one factory or 10 factories, but 100 factories, that is the point where most customers I work with are standing right now. They're either in the middle of scaling and rolling it out, they're at the very beginning, but I've not met many customers that have yet really at scale these principles implemented. And that is an area where we believe, especially coming back to the question about technology, where cloud computing is an absolute game changer. Simply because the domain of manufacturing operations is extremely physical based on your locations, right? You have a factory that runs with certain boundary conditions of the labor that is needed, the production methods that are used. So you will never find two factories that look alike, not even in the most standardized business processes like automotive, for example. But the power of cloud means that we can really accelerate these, what I call this industrialization of rolling out industry 4.0 or smart manufacturing capabilities at an enterprise scale. Why is that? Because I simply am not bound any longer by these physical limits of having to go to each factory, implement the software, tailor it. I can orchestrate this all from one central application, if you want. I can gather, talking back about data, all of the production and manufacturing and shop floor data to one single instance. So I get essentially intelligence across my heterogeneous world of manufacturing processes and I can run AI and analytics on top. Now, how does that help with sustainability? Because industry 4.0 is also a lot about reduction of waste, waste in water, waste in scrap material, waste in energy. So absolutely. And we have actually a nice showcase with our customer APA Industriale, who is a winner of the SAP Innovation Award and their so-called Phoenix factory. They have not only implemented industry 4.0 principles, but have done it with a purpose of waste reduction of their manufacturing of high-end surface materials. So absolutely, there's a correlation. And I believe with a further automation, there is also much, much more, let's say, leverage how to improve sustainability. Just a follow-on question from that, Dominic. You mentioned manufacturing going into the cloud. And historically, manufacturers have been very 
probably not the leaders in going to the cloud and very concerned about the security of their data. So do you think, I personally think that if my banking information is in the cloud, anything, everything is safe and secure in the cloud. But what are your thoughts around that? What would you say to a manufacturer who's hesitant of putting their manufacturing solutions in the cloud? Yeah. I've, first of all, I fully agree with your assessment. This is probably the number one, number two question that I get from customers from two angles, security and availability. But let's talk security first. I mean, obviously we are in a very, very, I always call it, we have reached, and this is a, probably a European analogy, most of all, we have arrived in the Champions League of cloud computing because we are running mission critical processes out of a cloud. Mission critical means even if we only have a five minutes downtime or an issue with our cloud, I have a standstill of physical processes. At the same time, it's highly precious data, right? Of bill of materials, work instructions, quality information about my products, even things like product genealogy, which really show the whole life cycle of or the as-built structure of my manufactured goods. Now, why do we believe that the cloud is the best place to achieve security? I mean, if we simply look at the power of security methods that have been introduced by the large hyperscalers, we suddenly see that there's so much more investment, know-how and state-of-the-art security standards that have been established where it's basically a core business for any hyperscaler, whether it's an SAP data center or one of our partners to protect this data. So it has become mission critical to have highest security. And all of these companies have one thing in common, whether it's SAP or our partners, which is access to fantastic talent and some of the best in the world to achieve this level of security. Now, if we talk about a small or mid-sized manufacturing company, which acts in a very local environment, access to the world's best security talent, which sits probably not around the corner, is extremely tough. So what we are essentially making advantage of is the pooling of know-how, of resources and significant investment into cybersecurity by leveraging hyperscalers, by leveraging cloud computing. So we're taking away the responsibility from the individual, small, mid-sized, or even larger company, and we are pooling it with a high emphasis on security because it is survival critical. So my theory, and there's obviously a lot of data, whether it's security certifications or other insights, there's a lot of data that suggests that even the most precious information is safer in a very resilient cloud environment than it is on a, let's say, in the old on-premise world. So I think many companies are seeing and believing that we have reached that level of maturity, even for very precious data. Just one comment for the non-Europeans or for the North American audience. I would say that the Champions League is analogous to March Madness in college basketball. March Madness, <laughs> yes. I thought about the Super Bowl, which I recently watched, um, but... Uh, yeah, that would work as well. If that works similarly. <laughs> Dominic, you oversee a large development team at SAP. What are the top priorities for innovations? What kind of priorities do you see and on your team? Yeah, I mean, for me, we talked at the beginning of the podcast a lot about these strategies, how we help companies really achieve this risk resiliency in their supply chains. And a lot of the innovations that we drive are really making use of state-of-the-art technologies like AI, machine learning, 
and networked economies or business networks and bringing this into the application. So maybe let me give you two very concrete examples to make that a bit more tangible. We have a program running that we call synchronized planning. Synchronized planning is doing three things for a company. It is number one, connecting a supply chain planning application, which helps you to run sales and operations planning, inventory optimization with the world of business networks. This is critical for two reasons. One, I want to understand any disruptions in my supply to then react on it, be agile and plan what this impact may mean to me as a company. But second, I also want to collaborate perhaps on my forecast, perhaps on my supply plans with my suppliers. So number one, we are synchronizing the reality of your business network, of your ecosystem with your own supply chain plans. Number two, with synchronized planning, we also then integrate into the execution layer. So like I mentioned earlier, we are synchronizing, we are integrating, let's say your supply plan deeply into your production plans or into your transportation planning, because ultimately what you plan to procure and manufacture is what you need to ship and produce in the end. And having those two domains really meld together, the world of planning and execution is critical. And the third and last thing is, we also bring synchronized planning together yet another domain with supply chain, which is the finance domain, financial planning, right? So I not only want to be able to understand the impact of my supply all the way down to my shop floor or to my transportation, but also my CFO is asking me, well, will it cause in terms of our top line, bottom line expectations, my financial forecast? So synchronized planning is A, the integration into our business network to understand the reality of what's happening in the ecosystem in terms of disruptions, synchronizing planning with execution all the way into financial planning. Yeah. So that is an innovation which sums up in my mind very nicely how we can help to build this resiliency and this risk resiliency into our customer supply chains. Zomlik, we're coming to the end of the session. I have one last question, but before I ask that question, are there any questions that we should have asked that we've missed? Is there anything else you'd like to say to the audience? Uh, very good point. I mean, maybe one topic that is also always recognized as a, I want to call it a hype topic, is this whole notion of the digital threat. So maybe I can say a sentence or two around that. And I must be honest, I'm not the biggest fan of the term itself, because I think there has been the digital twin, now there's a digital threat. But I'm a 100% believer into the concept that stands behind it, which is at the moment a big area of innovation for us at SAP. Now, what is a digital threat for us? What we have realized is many, many of our customers, especially when they are producing products or also in process industries, think recipe formulation, etc., they really require an end-to-end, -end, let's say, threat through their product lifecycle from when a product is being created in an engineering department, how this is being handed over to the shop floor to be produced, right? So the handover to work instructions, manufacturing, bill of materials or routings, but to then also be able to really store the as-built structure. So what have I created? What is the product all the way down to a serial number? And then even more importantly, how do I hand this over to operations? Be that my customer that buys an industrial asset from me and operates it, or even if it's, let's say, a byproduct that I'm selling. And then lastly, how can I service and operate these type of assets? So these are the domains when I spoke earlier about how important it is for our customers to 
bring their silos of the supply chain closer together. We are investing to basically help with technology to bridge the gap between those oftentimes silos of engineering, manufacturing, operations, and service. We call it the digital threat. Again, I'm not a fan of the word, but I think the concept behind it is so critical in order to help really orchestrate an efficient supply chain and to bridge these silos. That's a great example of closing the loop. You've come right from the start of your conversation to the end of it, but also the digital thread can feed in. If you've got information about how a product is performing at a customer side, you can feed that right back into the start of the process as well, back into the design process. Yeah. So the last question that we ask everybody in a sentence or two, what is your opinion? What is the future of supply chain? My opinion is we will see that the paradigm of supplier-vendor relationship has been absolutely disrupted and we will see that significantly change. We will see that collaboration in your ecosystem, visibility across the tiers of supply chain is what's going to determine the next stage of efficiency. And I also believe that companies right now can define an intelligent path to achieve risk resilience. I don't want to say that there are unintelligent paths, but I do believe that purely reshoring, purely, again, separating yourself from the tremendous opportunities we have created of globalization over the last 50 years, reversing this, right, is not the future of the supply chain. The future of supply chain is to find intelligent ways to maneuver it. We talked about some of those, agility, business networks, and so on. So I'm a big believer into an intelligent globalization. As ever, supply chains are a balancing act. It's not all of one. It's balancing all of the different challenges. Well, I didn't expect anything less, Dominic, but thanks for a great conversation. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. No problem. And, And thanks, everyone, for listening. Please mark us as a favorite. And you can get regular updates and information about future episodes. But until next time, from Sin and I, thank you for discussing the future of supply chain.